Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about stillbirth, baby loss, grief, survival, and all things in between. I'm Catherine. My first child, Brody, died at full term and was stillborn in January of 2022. I literally thought the sadness was going to kill me. And while trying to survive, I reached out to lost moms to connect with others who knew how I felt. It was these conversations that saved me, and to this day, they still do. We discuss our babies, life with grief. We even laugh, a lot actually. It is my hope that hearing our stories will help you realize that you are not alone in any of this, and maybe even serve as a guide to finding light in the dark. So get comfortable and grab some tissues as we discuss this crazy life after baby death that has left us all at a total loss. Hello. Hello. Hi, Allie. How are Hi. you? Good. How are you? I'm trying I'm to doing well. hide all my mess over there. How are you today? <laughs> You're fine. I'm okay, girl. How are you doing? Doing okay. Doing yeah. I'm glad the I'm glad the holidays are over. I'm, I think I agree. Yeah. Yeah. What did what did yours look like? Uh, uh not a whole lot. Like it wasn't like a uh, big hullabaloo necessarily. Yeah. It was just like this these were this was our first holiday season uh, since Noel died. So mm-hmm. thinking back to last year, how we thought the holidays would look mm-hmm. to now was completely different. You conceived when last year? In November. Okay. So you were right around the holidays and yeah. thinking about having, you know, the, uh, how old, probably a few months old baby. Seven months old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she, yeah, she'd be turning eight months on January 10th. So January 10th was yeah, be, what eight oh. months that would, oh, would be oh, I see. so her due date was June 8th. She was born okay. May 10th. Okay. So yeah. you were right almost there at that finish line. Yeah. Yeah. So the holidays, I think there's always pressure in the holidays to make it like this, such a special time of year. And then after loss, it's kind of like, well, I just need to get through it. You know, I need to like yeah. make sure I don't lose my mind. I kind of had no expectations for mine. I was just like, I just want to get through this. And we actually proceeded as if he were here. Like it was Mm -hmm. an interesting way of doing it. Um, We had bought a house when we found out we were pregnant Uh and we bought like a massive dining room table because I was like, I'm Uh going to finally host, you know, Christmas Eve because my sister lives down the street and she, she hosts Christmas. And then when he, when he obviously is not going to be here, I was like, you know what, let's just try to do this anyway. And I did it. And it was like super emotional, but the flip of not doing it felt worse than doing it. So I was like, that's when I was like, okay, whatever feels the least worst, you know, (laughs) that's, it's like, you're, you're trying to make it suck as little as possible. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's going to suck. Yeah. And that's a great way to put it is proceeding as though our babies were still alive is yeah. And cause you guys had a big, a big party for, yeah. for, for Brody for his birthday. It was more of like, so Michael and I got married. Um, when, when I was like 25 weeks pregnant we were like, all right, let's just do a, a chapel and let's just do this really teeny. And then we were like, in October, which October 15th is our wedding anniversary. We we're like, let's just do a giant you know, vow renewal and all this, like, we'll do like a huge reception and then we'll have like our eight month old or seven month old with us. And 
um, when he died, we found out that October was pregnancy and infant loss awareness. And then wave of the light on the 15th. That's right. You guys did that really big candle visual. I thought that was just beautiful. Oh just... yeah. We chose to launch yeah. a charity organization, which has, it was such a labor of love girl. I mean, it was like yeah. planning that I wanted to give me something to do every day. Cause I wasn't taking care of a baby. As you know, you're just like, well, what the hell am I going to do with myself? My purpose is gone. So, mm-hmm. and that was always like my, my planner, God love her. I love her so much, but she was always so chipper and like, we're going to do that. And I was like, lady, this is planning a funeral pretty much. But then it ended up right. being, everyone got to see him. We had his pictures on full display. We did a video girl because our stories are very different, uh-huh. but Brody's death was preventable and it could have been different right. if he had better testing and things like that. So we did a montage of my story, as well as the other lost moms here in Atlanta who have similar stories. And we met because of our stories, like small mm-hmm. placenta and things like that. And so we did a very powerful video of like, we need change and pictures from in the hospital. Like we drove it home because no one was really understanding this. And you probably have felt this. People weren't understanding the magnitude of the death. Mm-mm. They weren't getting it. No. Yeah. And in, I'm, obviously I'm, I'm, you're going to tell your story, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable that people mm-hmm. are like, wait, you gave birth. Wait, they had like, arms and legs. Wait. And I'm like, Oh my God, what did you think this was? So, right. Or like, Oh wait, you had to do postpartum yeah. or your, your body still thinks that you have a baby or wait, 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 but you had to plan a funeral. Like it was crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And the fact that we have to spell it out is so Cause I feel like you might be like me. Cause I, we're at, we're having this conversation. Cause I like your content. I like your headspace. I like, I like how you have, so to speak, handled your grief. Thank you. And I feel as if we want to be okay, we want to say we're surviving, we're thrive. We're not maybe thriving, but we are moving <laughs> with our babies. We're doing the best we can. But when people look at that as like, oh, then what happened to you must not be that bad. We're like, no, but wait. And then going back into the depths of how horrific it is just brings us back. So it's been such a like a little bit of a roller coaster situation, as I'm sure you know. And I'm done yapping. This is your story. (laughs) I want, (laughs) we are having this conversation because I, so I I call it a grief vibe. And Uh a grief vibe is when just because everyone's grieving doesn't mean the way that people are grieving is going to be good for your own healing. Mm-hmm. What I've seen from you is you've had a horrific and traumatic heartbreak and loss, and yet you seem to radiate light. And and I want to go into how and why and and what you've managed to do. But in order to drive home how fantastic I think that is, I want you to set us up for what happened. Yeah. So whatever, wherever you want to start. And I think you've listened to some episodes. So this is completely you and whatever you want to do. And I know it sucks and it's hard and anybody listening will probably be very affected by it, but this is your story. This is Noelle's story. She had a life before she had a death. Her life continues on. We honor them. This is how we do it. So take it away wherever you want to start. I'm here for it. Oh my gosh. Well, first off, thank you. I have to say thank you for giving moms and dads a space to come 
to share their baby stories because this is the most meaningful thing to get to talk about Noel, to talk about our babies is that's all, that's all I want is, and to help mitigate the pain Mm -hmm. for other people. Like I can't, I wish with all my heart that I could protect this from ever happening again. I, I never want anyone to understand this pain because we know what that means for someone to understand this pain, what they had to go through. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, no, our stories are very different. And I, I'm not sure if, I, if you've had a story quite like Noelle's. I have not had yours yet. No, because I know that, uh, most of the angels that you talk about were born still. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was something that they were, uh, really like, uh, I don't, I, how quite to say this, but like, they were really, um, warning us about as we got closer and closer Mm -hmm. to Noel's birth was the, that we should be prepared to come into a scan and that she might not have a heartbeat anymore. And that, so to have it be something that we felt like we could have had control over was, was a little bit different. Um, but she was, so we had a fantastic pregnancy up until that, I would say even 23 weeks. Um, we went in for her anatomy scan at, so by the, from the start of when we conceived Noel, pretty much every week, the only little red flag was that I was bleeding a little bit. Mm-hmm. every week, but it was just a little, you know, it's a couple drops here and there. And so we would call labor and delivery every time it happened. And they would say, you know, it's, it, this seems normal. This seems normal. If you're soaking through a pad or if it's clotting, come in. So we just chalked it up to that's normal. Cause that's what they're telling us. And, uh, then at her 20 week scan, which was in January, they, she was very active. She, at, from her first 10 week scan, she was moving, like dancing a lot. So she was really very, like she had a lot of energy and they just told us, oh, she's, she's sitting in a funky way. We can't see something that we need to see. Mm-hmm. And that's all they said. And, and they didn't really like give us any indication that it was worrisome or bothersome. And this and, was a low risk doctor. This wasn't even a high yeah, risk. This was a, yes, this was a low risk doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I remember, I remember going into when we uh, first heard her heart, one of the first times that we heard her heartbeat was right after the 12 weeks. And they said, so you've passed the 12 weeks, you can take a, you can take a breath, you can sigh relief. And like how much I would like to go back and just like punch that moment in the throat because right. there's no sigh, there's no point that you can just sigh relief. Mm-mm. Um. And so we went in for her anatomy scan. They said, we're going to bring you back. And we thought, oh, this is awesome. We get to see her again. Like we're like jazzed about this. And we went in on February 14th on Valentine's day, mm-hmm. um, which is very apropos for her diagnosis because uh, February 14th, the week of February 14th is CHD awareness week, congenital heart disorder. Um, and we, they, you know, we're, we're trying to scan and, and the technician just said, I'm going to go get my supervisor really quick. And our stomach dropped because that was it. That was, and they brought the technician in and, uh, she said, your baby has a very rare and very serious congenital heart disorder. 
called Epstein's anomaly. Um, we're going to go and get the supervising doctor, the, the OB and the OB came in and said, we can't completely confirm this, but your baby has, your baby is, is very sick. And, um, would you like to terminate? Oh my gosh. And, and that, and that was it. And that was I, it that, I mean that, and I just started sobbing and then, and the nurse was, the technician was wonderful and she was just rubbing my back and my husband was there with me. He was able to come to all of my appointments with me. And we said, but what, what does this mean? Why? And, and the doctor said, I'm not a fetal cardiologist. I can't answer these questions. We'll just, you are hitting 24 weeks and 48 hours. And within the state of Arizona, it is now illegal after 24 or 24 weeks um, in 48 hours at the, at the past 24 weeks, we cannot perform an abortion. So would you like to terminate? And I just remember going, I know, I know, I know. And I just remember going down the car and like, they, they usher you. So after you, we, that day we met our MFM, they said, do you know what MFM you want? I said, I don't just, whoever's here. I just want to talk to somebody. And, um, they brought the MFM in and, and she outlined a little bit for us, but there wasn't a lot that they could answer because it is such a rare CHD. Mm -hmm. Um, and they told us that she was measuring small. Um, and so at that point they, you know, they bring you like through a back hall and they let you leave through the back door so that, because we were obviously very visibly upset and you don't, they don't want to worry other parents in the waiting room. Um, and, and I, I do think that they were trying to be very accommodating too. Like they were trying to be as, at least the nurses were trying to be as gentle with this as, as they possibly could be. And I just remember going down to our car and just yelling and just screaming, like, what, what have we done? What did we do? And, um, so then from that point, we started to see an, uh, an MFM, we had about three people in the room at all times for every appointment. We had our, the head ultrasound technician and they were, our doctor's office was great in the team was consistent and the room was always the same. And like, we knew what to expect. It was always the same technician. It was always the same two doctors, um, so, uh, with Noel's CHD, it's Epstein's anomaly and it affects the development of the tricuspid valve along with some other components of the heart. Uh, her, she was not, her blood was not circulating through her heart and into her body. It was regurgitating back into the chamber. Um, so we started to go in at least twice a week and they, called us in on a Saturday when I remember going in, I think it was a Thursday. And then they said, well, we want to come, we want you to come into L and D on Saturday so that we can check and see how she's doing. And, uh, she had gone into distress and she was starting to, to die. Essentially. They said, your, your baby is very sick. Um, we're, we're going to have to start you on a particular medication. Um, and they wanted to test my kidneys beforehand because, the medication they were going to put me on could affect my kidneys. And they said, we can't wait for that. We cannot wait to get your blood results back. We have to put you on this medication right now. What, how many weeks was this? 
oh gosh, 27. It had okay. just been, so it this is happening been, really fast. It was very, it was from the time we got her diagnosis. It was like, wow. at that point, it was, it, it was a complete, it was going from the, what I'd envisioned is like this perfect pregnancy to just a shit storm mm-hmm. of like everything that you could be stressed or worried about was now happening. Um, what was the tone of the doctors? Were they giving you hope she could be saved or were they kind of, what was the vibe you were getting? I, so I, I'll be completely transparent. I went into a really bad depression Mm -hmm. from the minute that we got her diagnosis. So the doctors were very wonderful in giving us hope in saying like, okay, well, we've, we've, there are, we have only seen a study that have 20 babies like Noel in the world. What? 20 in the world that are in this study. Yeah. In the study. Okay. And so we can say based on this study, this is the chance that we have. And we had a doctor out of San Diego, a doctor out of Canada and a doctor out of Phoenix that were working wow. to give us some kind of hope. And so from that standpoint, seeing our doctors work so hard, yeah, that was giving us hope that like, well, they're not just saying, yeah, just terminate. They mm-hmm. were, they were, they were blunt. They were transparent about this is really serious and this is bad and bad in the sense that it, it is going to be, your pregnancy is going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, was and- your life in danger at all? You said your kidneys could have no, been. I didn't know. Okay. I didn't, but I wasn't really concerned about like that. They, they would always tell that, me like, yeah. It, yeah, like if we have to like, we'll test your blood to make sure something is okay. But at any point I never felt like my life was in danger. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't like preeclampsia or, or, um, placental abruption or anything like that. Um, and so, uh, they did tell us though, that she was going to need a couple of different heart surgeries right after her birth if she survived Mm. in utero, which is terrible. It's a terrible thing to hear a doctor say, Mm -hmm. because you're trying to go through a pregnancy as though they are going to live and they are going Mm -hmm. to survive. Mm -hmm. And this is quote unquote normal. You're having a normal pregnancy and uh, just do like have a baby shower and follow the app of like, this is the developmental stage that Mm. your, your baby is at. Um, all the while ignoring <laughs> these looming questions and these fears in your head mm-hmm. of, is she moving? Is she okay? How's she mm-hmm. feeling? And she was super active. Like that's what was just so crazy about it. Um, so then they told us that she was going to need a couple of different heart surgeries and that there was one that they could not perform where we live in Tucson. Um, so they said, you know, we can start to help you find transfer hospitals, or if she is going to be born here, we're going to have to air back her mm-hmm. and she will likely not survive that air back ride. Well, okay. So that's not, a, you know, yeah. well, we're not delivering here. <laughs> that's yeah. Take that off the table. Yeah. And we never, and, and our doctors were great. We never felt like there was any kind of professional gatekeeping or um, jealousy. They were, mm-hmm. let's help you find the, the people, the doctors that make you feel comfortable and confident. So we mm-hmm. ended up meeting at, uh, and there is an Epstein's anomaly, the De Silva center for Epstein's anomaly, which is in, um, Pittsburgh. Okay. 
that's very far from where yeah. we live. Yeah. We were ready though. We were, I mean, you tell us where to go. If it's Canada, if it's England, if it's wherever mm-hmm. we were looking at San Diego. Um, but yeah. there was a high success rate for, um, neonatal heart surgery at Phoenix children's. So you had seen studies say that there was a success rate to this being success. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. To having to, to okay. it was, it was the, you know, number one, there was this this giant banner on the side of the Phoenix Children's Hospital, um, top <clears throat> hospital in the nation for like Children's Heart Center or okay. cardiology. So we felt very confident and we loved our team there. Um, so this is fast forward to April. We have moved to, um, in, oh, in March, we went to Phoenix uh, to get a uh, fetal MRI done. We were going to be part of a research group where they're going to do this fetal MRI for us. And um, they're going to look at all of the different layers of her body and her heart and see really how are things looking because you can only see so much on an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. You're good. And <laughs> that looks good. Uh, is that coffee? <laughs> it is coffee. I'm a big nice. coffee drinker. Are nice. you a coffee drinker? I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we fast forward to March and we're going to get the speedal MRI done. And we are anticipating that they're going to tell us that maybe there are some, it's looking bad for her heart. Um, what we were not expecting is that there would be cysts in her brain. Mm. So not only do we get this call that says her heart is enlarged in her cavity chain, her chest cavity. So mm-hmm. the heart should take up about 40%. Hers was at this point taking up 60% wow. of her chest cavity. So it's uh, crushing her lungs development. Mm-hmm. Um, and the medication that she's on is deteriorating her kidneys. Mm. Um, we knew that going into it. We knew that the kidneys might take a hit. Okay. But if your heart doesn't function, you know, there's not, there's not much else you can do. So maybe we'll look at a kidney transplant in the future is, is what the doctors are saying. Okay. Um, so she had something at that point, she was diagnosed with periventricular leukomalacia, which are cysts on the brain, um, which is a precursor for cerebral palsy. Mm. Is it related or unrelated to the heart? It is related. So when she went into distress Mm. back in February, her, um, her oxygen was cut off from her brain, okay. which is what causes this PBL, which is what can develop into CP. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just diagnosis after diagnosis. And it's just, but at, at, she was just this beautiful light inside of us. And she would get so excited when her dad would walk in a room, mm. let alone talk just, it was almost like she could sense my husband oh, coming so close awesome. and she would just start moving and dancing and, and gosh, I've, I've been like harping on all the negative. <laughs> she, oh, Noelle no. had just this beautiful light from the minute of her conception. It was mm. just like, I, and she, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but my husband, a couple years ago, his beard started to come in more and it was red hair. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him. I said, "Oh, give me all the redheaded babies." Oh, and, <laughs> and she had this bright red hair. The minute she came wow. out, I'm like, 
where did that come from? Cause he has kind of dusty blonde hair and I have this very dark, dusty blonde hair naturally. And I'm like, she's, she's red hair. She's red hair. And I'm like, That's so crazy. and she had very long legs, which made sense. Cause she was a big dancer and, and she absolutely loved chocolate chip cookies, which I've posted about. And she loved strawberry I lemonade. Um, and she loved Taylor Swift. She loved to dance to that. Like there was um, one song you need to calm down that would come on on the radio yeah. every time she was like, like just dancing up in the storm. And I'm like, okay, let's, That's let's dance. So cute. And yeah, she just love had all this that. personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I don't think to, to echo what you said earlier, people don't get the magnitude of this loss is because her birthday was not the first time I met her. Yeah. I knew her well before her birthday. That was the first time physically seeing her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was not my first time meeting. Well, meeting my baby. No. And so, so I got ahead of myself a little bit, but so we, so to get oh. these diagnosis after diagnosis, it start to, you start to mourn the pregnancy. You start to uh, mourn, mourn yes. a normal pregnancy. And on top of it, so our team, uh, we were given the choice and we had them come on palliative care. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had, I was so naive in going into any of this. I had no idea what a palliative care doctor was. And it is a quality care doctor for when you know that you have a, uh, life limiting diagnosis. So you, you have this before we had a birth plan, but before her diagnosis, we had a birth plan that was, um, you know, we want incense in the room and we want nice music and I want a vaginal delivery, you know, like, oh, like yeah. I want all of that. I want it to look like Kumbaya. And like, and, and, and I was absolutely like, I want this to be super peaceful. Mm-hmm. Then you have a doctor come at you with, okay, we're going to give you this birth plan. But on the birth plan, instead it says things like, do I want hand and footprint molds? Or oh would God. I like, would I like a cuddle cot, which mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. Would I like a cuddle cot? And we're like, Jeez. so this and, was how far along that you started to actually prep that you were going to need bereavement care almost immediately after she was born. I want to say 29 weeks, 30 Jeez. weeks. Like it was, it was very quick. It was yeah. maybe oh even quicker gosh. than that, honestly. Um, and we, And I want to say that it was so difficult and it took us a long time, pretty much until the week before she was born to really take a hold of palliative care and comfort care and really make it our own. And I'm so glad that we did it. Um, But it is the toughest thing to know that you're going to give birth to a baby that you are not going to get a future you're not going to get to live this life with your baby. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, there was hope though. There was hope. There was hope, which was that, okay, we're going to do a couple of different kinds of surgeries. And if she can make it through these surgeries, she just has to be big enough. That was the thing. She's got to put on weight. She's got to put on weight because if she doesn't put on weight, she's not a candidate. There is nothing they can do. So she had to be four pounds, Let's say 12 ounces mm-hmm. is what it was. Four pounds, 12 ounces. Um, to 
be a candidate for the first surgery. Mm-hmm. And, um, then eventually probably they were looking at after these surgeries, you know, three months, she'll have another surgery, but as quickly as possible, we're going to get her a heart transplant. She's going to need a heart transplant, um, as quickly as possible if she can sustain life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a heart transplant, is that from another baby that's passed? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. So not only are you like, oh, I want my baby to have a heart transplant, but that means that another baby is no longer here with right. their mom and their dad wow. and their family. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. So you have to think about like babe and that's, you don't think about it. babies need heart transplants. Oh my God. Babies you, need kidney transplants. And so you've got all this going through your brain. Like in order for this to happen, this has to happen. And yeah, that is, that is a layer on top of a layer on top of a layer to yeah. accept. Yeah. Okay. And, and who, you know, the whole time we're praying, but what are we praying for really? Wow. Like, You're praying this- for a heart, but yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That is such a mind. Oh. It is a, it's a, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and okay. you're just trying to really like make it through the day. You're and, and we're living. So at this time we were living at Ronald McDonald house, um, up at Phoenix children's. So we are on the campus because we have, uh, uh, fetal echocardiogram at least once a week, if not twice a week. And we're meeting with a high risk doctor up there as well. Um, and then we also have a team at another hospital at Banner um, because they can't do delivery at Phoenix Children's. And so okay. the plan is she's going to be born. She's going to have to go to the NICU. And then as quickly as they can say she's okay to leave the NICU, we're going to air back her to okay. Phoenix Children's. And so the plan is, okay, I, I told my husband, my husband's name is Evan. You're going to go with her. They're going to, we knew it was going to be a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, she just would not be able to sustain a vaginal birth. So it's going to be a C-section. You're going to go with her. You're going to get on that helicopter or go in that ambulance, however they're taking you. And you're going to go over there and I'm going to be in recovery. And you're by her side, wherever they take you, wherever they take her, you're by her side. And we, we had a doula um, with us and they allowed her. So, so again, I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but we get to her, we get to 35 weeks. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you have put everything on hold. You're not probably not going to work. You're probably not really telling anybody anything. You're probably just like, I just am dead focused on what is going on right now. Yeah. And you are living out of a suitcase. You're yeah. doing whatever it takes. Okay. You yeah. just basically put your life. You're like in a weird purgatory. You're like in a limbo right now. Cause you have no yes. idea what's going to happen. Okay. It is. It is. I am eating, sleeping, breathing day by day, what are the results of the echocardiogram and what are the results of the heart and what's going on? Because at any moment, I mean, we got up there around 32 weeks and they were like, if we can make it to 32 weeks, we might be talking about a delivery. And then it was like, if we can make it to 34 weeks and we're like, Oh my gosh, you know, we, we might, we're, we're going, we're going, she's doing well. And at one point, one of the doctors called us and said, you know, the medication has helped so much. We've seen such an improvement. We cannot wait to see what Noel does. And I'm wow. like, I've, I've got this quote unquote miracle inside of me. I've got this baby who are defying doctors and I love it. I'm like, tell them they're wrong, kid. Show mm. them they're wrong. Mm. But at the same time, that's a lot of pressure to put on a baby, mm. right? That's a lot of, and I'm just like, you, 
are doing such a good job, Noelle. You're fighting so hard and you're second guessing everything, right? I, I was second. I mean, I was second guessing. Am I doing enough yoga? Am I doing enough breath work? Am I doing too much? Am I eating the right? Am I eating too much sugar? Am I not drinking enough water? Am I, is the temperature of the room too warm? Like you're like consuming you 24 seven. You're probably not sleeping. You're you're probably biting off the heads of everyone around you. That's like, not, you know, like, like it's affecting you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was. And I was trying not to, but I was definitely reverting inward. I'm trying not to like make to trauma dump, you know, and we got connected with a really, really great counselor. Um, at, Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. At Phoenix children's. Um, and he specializes, they have a program for parents Mm -hmm. whose children have gone through a terminal illness or death who have, who have died. Um, and what a great program. And I wish that that was just offered as standardized care for, uh, parents and definitely the lost community. Um, so we're up there and we make it to 35 weeks and every study that I've been looking at, it was 30 by 35, 36 weeks with as rare of her heart disorder. She had the babies would, were, were born still. And I, so I knew I, well, I was very confident and they were, they kind of just looked at us and they said, you know, you are showing signs that she is, uh, her, her, um, oh, dang. What was that? What's that test called where they, um, test, check the movement biophysical profile. Oh, the biophysical profile. Yeah. Yeah. Biophysical, the BPP. Um, she started to fail those and they would, I don't know if, if Brody ever got a little, Mm -hmm. uh, but they would take this, this little buzzer. She was super calm one day and that's, and her movement started to deteriorate like Mm -hmm. a little bit by little bit by little bit. And I did not know how big of a deal that was. I just kind of was like, well, she must be tired because she's fighting every day of her little tiny baby life. Mm -hmm. She's trying to rest and sleep. Um, I had low amniotic fluid, which Mm -hmm. was directly correlated to her heart. And my placenta was now deteriorating the the health Mm -hmm. of my placenta because it's trying to nourish the baby, but there's not enough fluid. And so the placenta thinks it has to work overtime, but the baby is rejecting, mm. um, or the, the sack. I don't want to say like she's rejecting. She wasn't yeah. doing anything wrong. Um, so we get to 35 weeks and we go into an appointment and we say, we've got to, we've got, like my husband and I said, we've got to see some improvement. If we don't see improvement, we know that her birthday is coming up. Because what they're telling us is if, if you want to meet her alive. Wait, what? I was about to ask. Okay. Yeah. So that's the whole thing is that they're saying, if you want to meet your baby alive, do you, you want to get time? her out? You've got to, you, you've got to make, yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, that's you, no, yeah. Yeah. That's no question. Of course I want to yeah. meet my baby alive. But you're like, is she big enough yet? Right. Does she weigh exactly. a certain amount? Right. I want to take a quick break to tell you about something I love, wine. I like to enjoy a glass or two here or there, but what I don't like is junk in my wine. 
So I drink Scout and Cellar clean crafted wine. These grapes are sourced from all over the world and have no toxic pesticides, no artificial processing aids, and no added sugar. They're also low in sulfites and absolutely delicious. Have them delivered right to your home and see for yourself. Go to www.scoutandcellar.com slash Catherine Lazar to order your clean crafted wine now. I hope you enjoy. And of course, please, please drink responsibly. Back to the show. And, and as we know, like it's kind of a guesstimate, right? When they're in, in an ultrasound, it can be a pound or two off. Their weight can be, oh, their yeah. height can be off a little bit. It's not completely accurate. <clears throat> so we, we go in and they take this little, she's not moving a bunch and they take this little buzzer and they put it on my stomach and they're kind of like giving her a little shock <laughs> to try to wake her up to see if she'll move. Mm-hmm. And she's not she's given like a little twitch. She's kind of like, yeah, like punched in the way. And we're like, okay, well, good. We can still see a heartbeat and she's still moving. Um, but we, we, we left and, and it was just kind of, it was that morning where the doctor said, you know, if you, this, this is going to be an emergency C-section, you give me the go ahead. And we left and my legs at this point were already starting to swell really bad. My ankles, my ankles were swelling up. I don't know if you got that towards the end yeah. of your, yeah, yeah. My, and my, and my feet were, so, I mean, none of my shoes fit me and mm-hmm. I was a size seven. I went out and I bought size nine slippers. Wow. Like they were huge. And, and it was just kind of all of these signs that she was saying that we, and something that was really helpful, um, knowing that you're, knowing that our daughter was terminally ill, uh, that our counselor talked us through is having a family value that we can go back to when we made our decisions, when we, cause we knew we would have to make tough decisions. So what is our family value? What's guiding us in making these decisions mm-hmm. and our value as ignorant as it was, was we only want her to know our love. And what we, what, what I meant by that was I want to mitigate her distress. I want to mitigate her pain. I want her to be comfortable. I want us to enjoy our quality time together, right? We only want her to know our love. And so at that point we said, like, we, we do want to, this is our, this is our time that we're going to get together and we need to see. So there's a part of her heart that after birth, it, it was, it was not closing fully. And it was, it was actually open quite a bit. And they said that after birth, that closes up. It's supposed to. Mm -hmm. So this was our chance to see, is it going to close up after Mm -hmm. she comes out of utero? And we've got to give her that chance. Mm -hmm. And like, I, Catherine, I cannot express to you how difficult of a decision that is to have to make the choice to say, okay, tomorrow we're going to go in and we're going to give birth. And we don't know what we're facing. Nobody knows what we're facing. So they uh, put, they, my doctor gave me like a little steroid shot and that's supposed to help to amp up Noel's lungs post birth, but, or before the birth, but of course her, her lungs are very compromised. Um, and there's a lot of fluid inside of her lungs. And 
So we go to the hospital that morning. It was 7.30. We have to be there. So we're giving, we're going back to uh, Ellen or into the operating room at 9.30. And the look of pity on every doctor that came to introduce themselves Hmm. was so we go we go back and um they did give me an epidural however it did not work as effectively as it should have and i i don't know if that well, i know i talk about a whole other load of trauma but i don't know if it was my adrenaline fighting it hmm. i don't know if it because it went in kind of sideways too mm-hmm. i don't know, but there was a part of me that could feel what was going on, part of it. And it was excruciating pain. Jesus Christ. But, uh, you know, she, so she comes out and um, uh, beautiful. She, she came out to the same song to my first dance song with my husband. I had my, my phone on shuffle. Like I had like a playlist on shuffle and it was just on shuffle. You know, I didn't obviously didn't, I couldn't plan it that way if I tried. And, mm. um, there was, they said baby's out and my husband like shoots it. Cause he's up in my head shoots mm. up and sees her and he's describing her to me. And, um, it was about 30 seconds where I'm, I'm just asking, why isn't she crying? Why isn't she crying? Um, and then she starts to cry. Oh, wow. And I'm like, Oh, thank God. And I remember saying that I'm like, Oh, thank God. And I heard her and she cried four times and then it stopped. And I, again, then I just start freaking out and I'm like, why isn't she crying? Where is she? What are they doing? Um, and you've got about 20 doctors in the room, mind you, because it's not yeah. just, you know, not, not to say that a C-section is just a C-section, certainly not. Um, but you've got a whole slew of other specialists in the room that are analyzing her and evaluating her and trying to get as much of the fluid out of her. Um, so my husband is over in the other part of the operating room with Noelle. And, and are you still like cut open with the curtain mm-hmm. up? Is there anybody in your ear telling my doula, my doula is right here. And they can, yeah. And they can tell that the doctors can tell that I'm in pain, unnecessary Mm. pain. And they keep saying we do. And they're getting down on my level. Like they're talking to me and and speaking to me as a human, which I very much appreciate. Mm -hmm. And if any doctors are listening, please treat your patients (laughs) like humans, like get on their eye level. Yeah, really. And they're saying, you know, we, we do not want to have to put you under but we're going to give you some laughing gas. And if it doesn't work, we will, if you give us the, okay, we'll put you under. I'm like, I'm not going under. You can keep me cut open for as long as you want. I'm not leaving Mm-mm. my baby. And, um, and I know that that's just not a choice Mm-mm. for some people. So, um, part of the pain though, was that my placenta was incredibly large and it was square. Wow. Yeah. There's, so it was, very unhealthy. It was about at least double the size of a regular percent of what it should have been. And it was square. And I've heard that before. No, no, I showed my team. And, and so I, so another thing is that I was able to donate my placenta. Um, they can use it for, um, burn victims. They can, they can use it for medication for oh, burn wow. victims and, um, for other patients in recovery. 
of various diseases. So we had another wonderful nurse in the room who took the placenta and put in the corner, but whatever that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. I'm just, but, no, uh, but that's amazing. You thought to do that. Like that's they offered it to me. Cause we, we wanted to, when we realized that Noelle was terminally ill, we did ask, are there any organs we can donate? And yeah, your baby, at least within the state of Arizona has to be 28 days old. Hmm. And she just unfortunately didn't have any organs that could have been donated other to, other than to research. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, she wasn't old enough as it, as it was when she passed. And so, so she was four pounds, three ounces. So she wasn't big enough. Mm-hmm. She wasn't a candidate. And, um, it was very clear when she came out that she was struggling. So my husband introduced me to Noel and he put her in my arms and she did not leave there. Um, so there were no machines. There were no, there, were no, there was none. They, nothing. there was, they gave her some oxygen. And I remember husband putting her on my chest, right. we you know, right up here on my mm-hmm. clavicle and, mm-hmm. and I'm saying, look, she's breathing. She's breathing. I could see her just, just the sweetest little, mm-hmm. just her little nostrils. And they transferred me off. They, I gave my husband Noel while they transferred me off the bed. That was the only time that she left my arms. So then he gave mm-hmm. me back, gave her back to me. Mm-hmm. And um, she did not leave my arms for at least an hour and a half. And mm-hmm. she was, um, she was born at 10 6 AM and she was declared dead at 11 08 AM. Wow. And to, to know that she, she, she knew us. She met her dad. She met me. We were together as a family. Mm-hmm. You don't want to think about your baby dying mm-hmm. ever, ever. But if when you are prepared and faced with very little other option to know that she passed away in my arms. And How were you physically able to hand her or hand her over to somebody it was my husband so luckily yeah yeah, luckily we um uh they had the team come in and and we told them we want to do everything with her we want to do everything so he gave her her first bath Mm. he cut her hair and the Mm. nurses were there walking him through all of this but um so right after she was declared dead um we had a pastor come up and bless her mm. with some holy water. And mind you, our whole family is down outside of the hospital. Uh, and they have no idea mm-hmm. what's gone on. They've been there all morning. And my parents actually flew in from, from Alabama the night before they had, mm. you know, been on a red eye, they had a layover. They got to the hospital. They pulled up at nine 30 as the surgery was starting. And, um, so nobody had any idea what had happened. And then the conversation came to, we have to go tell them now we've, we've had some time as a family and we've laid with her and, and we had her blessed, but we have to go tell them. And my husband made the decision to be the one to go tell our families. And, um, we had them come up to meet her 
but, uh, we did, we did everything with her and we, uh, you know, he did the hand and footprints and the molds and gave her a haircut, gave her her bath. We were able to swaddle her and, and put her in a bassinet next to us. We had, uh, the nurses took photographs of her and of us together and, um, we then got five days in the hospital with her because of the blessing of the cuddle cot. Mm -hmm. She was able to sleep right next to us. And we had our time physically as a family together. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, we wrapped up kind of a whole year in one day. <laughs> we tried to, we sang her happy birthday. We tried to do as much as we could think of, but being in the hospital with your baby who is laying beside you dead, mm -hmm. calling funeral homes. Walk me through. So you have an excruciating C-section. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's out and mm -hmm. you are still like, there's still a chance. There's still a chance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They tell you in a matter of one hour and two minutes that there's no hope. It's over. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You hold her, you're hanging on to every single breath she's taking, not knowing if it was the last one. Mm -hmm. Then it is the last one. Mm -hmm. What are you doing in your own physical, emotional state at this point? Do you remember all of this? Were you in shock? Had you accepted what was currently happening? What were, how were you getting through each minute? It was shock. Yeah. It was shock. And it was, it was um, not only my body having shock trauma, like a shock response to the trauma, but of the shock of you've just given birth mm -hmm. and now your baby is dead. And just this hope, this hope. Cause I remember there were multiple times where I would, I would think that I would see her breathing or I, or I would think Mm. that I, that she was moving out of the corner of my eye, or I would look at her and I would think that she had moved and that doesn't go away. Right. Mm. That doesn't, that doesn't go away easily. And, um, just hoping, well, hoping she'll wake up over mm. the five days they were there. And then having to, at the end of the five days, putting her into a casket and just begging and pleading with God that she would wake up. I just, mm -hmm. I remember audibly mm -hmm. begging, please wake up, please. Yeah. Please let this just, please, please. And she fought so hard and she was so tired. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was such a almost it's a weird I'm sure that one hour and two minutes that she, or one hour that she was alive that mm -hmm. it was like she's so beautiful I'm so happy I'm so joyous this is my baby this is what we created mm -hmm. but oh my god I have to say goodbye soon like that is mm -hmm. the most ridiculous ridiculous combination of feelings for a mother 
all at once and it messes with your head because you just have to keep correcting yourself. You're like, oh, I can't, uh, this isn't joyous. What's happening here? I want to fixate on this moment and remember for Mm -hmm. the rest of my life, but it's also the worst moments of my entire life. So it's nothing that anyone can really prepare you. Did anybody try to prepare you? Like when you got there, like, hey, this, this, and this event happens, or even maybe when she was born, were they like, this is what's going to happen? Or did they just kind of leave you alone and then come in once she had they, passed. They tried as yeah. much as possible. I, if I can remember correctly, like they were, they were really, really wonderful. I'm they so were, happy to hear that. Like I'm they, so happy to hear that. They, they never rushed us. They mm-hmm. never. But I mean, the really shitty thing is they put you at a maternity ward. There oh, are Jesus. babies. There are babies that are actually crying out loud in the room next to you. And like, I'm in the shower, like, you know, crying my eyes out. And I hear this baby, like, you know, my mother's having to help me shower because you can't, like, you you can barely hold yourself up. Like you're on a seat after the Mm -hmm. Mm C-section and I'm crying my eyes out. And then I hear this baby cry and I like almost fly out of the shower. My mom has to stop me and say, it's not her. It is another baby. It's not her. And like, that happened over and over. And I'm like, could we like, but, but the, the staff really were, they never made us feel rushed. They were very gentle. They were very accommodating. They, so once you're, when your baby dies, neonatal death, um, they put some kind of symbol on the door Yeah, and our symbol happened to be a black rose and a white rose. Um, and I, I, maybe to signify death and then hope, I'm, I don't know, but I remember, I know, I remember <laughs> maybe a butterfly or like something, maybe not like a black dead rose. Like it was like a wilted rose. That is so wild. I right. heard this before. Right. right. So I remember like, as you're recovering from the C-section, they have you take walks around outside of your room, um, to try to regain, uh, your strength and, and get used to being on your feet. And I remember the first day we were the only ones with the rose. And by the time we left, there were three other doors that had a rose on it. Are you serious? Yeah. And I just wanted, but then there are other doors that do not have a rose Mm. on their door. So. That's so rough. And that's like the craziest thing. It's like someone brought this to my attention. It's like, it's not just your baby's death. It happens again in like 20 minutes and it happens again in an hour. And then it happens again the next day. And it's like, you gave birth in May on the 10th. I was packing for a trip to go across the planet to get over my baby, to help me cope right. with my baby's death while yours is dying. I'm like, I I just, you go into your bubble and you just don't realize that it's happening so much mm-hmm. all over the place. And for you to walk down a hallway and be like, there's three other mothers that are experiencing this excruciating death and you want to kick down the door and hug them. But then again, yeah. you're just like, I don't understand how there's more than one right now. Right. How does this keep happening? How does it keep happening? And where are the people? If this has happened, so, you know, if this has happened, where, how, like, it was in that moment that I was like, I've got to find my tribe. Like, yeah, I've got to find let me ask you that. Okay. So I've, I've spoken to, um, mothers who had babies that, uh, had a trisomy, like a 13 or 18 uh-huh. who were mm-hmm. told there is no shot like this. Mm-hmm. Is, and so I've heard the word pre-grief that 
they mourned the death before the death happened. They knew the death was going to happen. So they prepared for the death and had 20, oh, yeah. 20 weeks to do this. Yeah. And their grief started during the pregnancy. So then yeah. when the baby did arrive, they tried to have the most peaceful encounter. Mm-hmm. They'd already been prepared. If you're even prepared, it's like such a weird thing to say, but like they had already started to put their put their head around that the that their baby was not going to be here forever. And so you didn't have that situation though. You were given hope and chunks mm-hmm. of something to hold on to and even until the probably the minute she was born a couple minutes after you were probably still hanging on to it. So is that when did your grief start? Oh gosh. Um I when they started mentioning stillbirth. Okay. And I was deathly afraid. I was deathly afraid of Noelle being born still. Mm -hmm. I wanted to meet each other. I wanted to meet each other as you know, I, I, I hope it doesn't sound selfish, but I really wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to give her as much of a chance to grow in utero, but I wanted us to meet each other alive. And so at that point, when they started to mention stillbirth, I, um, our palliative care doctor, you know, he said, the hard part is happening. Let's Mm -hmm. fill it with love. Mm -hmm. And that really has stuck with me, but it's difficult to hear. And I remember one day in particular, it was, that was the week of her. It was the Saturday before mother's day, the week before her or the week of her birthday. So the Saturday before she was born, we were having some friends uh, come up and we said, okay, well, you know what? we've got to try to control this uncontrollable situation. Mm -hmm. Let's try to have some control over it. So we're going to go and look for her. I I knew that I wanted to have my wedding dress incorporated on her blessing gown. I said, let's go look for that blessing gown that will likely be her burial gown and let's go shopping for it. And let's Mm -hmm. go, you know, let's go, look for it and and have some control over it. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't find anything small enough, unfortunately, that she could have been born in or could have, could have been buried in. So we ended up going with um, little angel gowns uh, and they were wonderful to, to work with. And we were able to incorporate my wedding dress into that. But in having that be a moment of a day where we are simultaneously saying, if she survives, she will be blessed in this. Mm-hmm if she dies, she will be buried in this is yeah, it was, it was both. It was both grief and mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. So what you stayed five days yeah, and then you had to leave her there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you had to leave her in, we had to leave her in the morgue. Yeah. They told me, they told me that they wouldn't do anything with Brody. They wouldn't do any autopsies or testing. Mm-hmm. And the funeral home couldn't pick him up until we left. Mm-hmm. Because I guess a lot of moms changed their minds or a lot of parents changed their minds. So you leave. God knows mm-hmm. how we walk out without them. I don't know. What were the days like after that? Numb. Mm. Completely numb. Just because we were up in Phoenix. So my parents had flown in and they are in an Airbnb. We're staying with them. So we're in a foreign house. 
we have left our baby in a hospital. You're having a completely out of body experience. You're just not even, yeah. That's what it, yeah, that's what it was. It was just like this, this out of body experience of, of what the hell just happened. Oh my God. That's so true. Like, and, and it it felt like when people talk about like parallel universes, like, Mm. I wonder what the other me is doing. I'm like, that's what, I don't want to be this me. I, I, this is one of those parallel universes. Get me out. I don't want to do this. I don't. I, I don't. That is such an accurate description because it's like you want to literally unzip your skin mm-hmm. and get out and say, I don't want this. I don't want this life. I don't feel like doing this. I don't want this feeling. And you're like, make it stop. And then it doesn't. It's 24 hours yeah. a day, every single second. When do you remember, I just said, coming up for air where mm-hmm. you are just kind of like the fog is releasing a tiny bit and you're like, I need to make a decision to try to feel better. Oh my gosh. What a good question. I You're still in the probably, thick of it, by the yeah, way. You're not well, even like right. Six like I really, out. I honestly, if I'm being honest, it's probably been this week that I feel like I've like wow. after now the holidays, like mm-hmm. that I I am giving myself permission to try to come up because it was, and it still is all consuming, but I mean, I left my job. I did not go back to my job. I could not because I was working with children. I could Mm. not go back to my job. I closed myself off. I have a great support system and my husband and I have a great support system, but it was if, and I, also had, I also decided to donate my breast milk, Mm -hmm. which, um, I absolutely understand is just not for everybody, but that was something that was part of organ donating that I wanted to do. And in pumping, because I prepared myself, I was going to have to pump to give my milk to Noelle when she was in the NICU, she couldn't take formula. She wouldn't have been able to survive off it. So it was this in a weird way. It was this connection that I had with her that every time I pumped it, I would talk to her and remember her. And it was this way to feel like she was still here in a way that this was because of her Mm. and whatever I could do that was rooted in Noelle and in her legacy and her memory. That was my only reason for existing. And so I was, you know, pumping every two hours, every two to three hours, you know, and, um, making that and like putting together scrapbooks. We, between my doula and between our, one of our nurses in the delivery room and then the nurses in recovery, we had about 800 photos of the day. And so it was, you know, putting together scrapbook album after scrapbook album and, um, putting together kind of like, I I call her shrine. Our whole house is a shrine to her, but like, I, you know, her little like shrine table and, um, visiting her, her grave every day. Mm. But but this is after we've moved back, obviously in that, Mm -hmm. in those moments before we'd come back to Tucson, I I just remember being dumbfounded that the world kept moving, that the, that the earth kept spinning and that people were going about their lives. Mm -hmm. There are still people driving down the road. There are still people just going to work and shopping and 
my baby and other babies mm. have died. Isn't it something 64 every day mm-hmm. are born still mm-hmm. correct yep. me if I'm wrong that are dying. Mm-hmm. What the mm-hmm. hell? <laughs> how is this? Yeah. How is the world still spinning? Well, I'm, it sounds like you're not walking away with an anger at your healthcare system, which is fantastic and, or your healthcare providers, which is amazing. But I'm sure there has been a level of anger that's crept its way in a little bit. You know, the why, why did this happen to us? Where have you landed on that? And don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are definitely like, we had some things said to us by doctors that I have some choice words to like, we had one surgeon tell us there's no point in doing anything heroic. Oh my God. He said heroic. Yeah. He said, there's no point in doing anything heroic. I'm not asking for a hero. I'm asking for you to do your job. Yeah, just do your job. Oh like do your God. job. Or like, and I also think about if we hadn't have had that diligent of ultrasound technicians, they would have just gone, oh, well, we can pretty much see everything. So you're good. And you, you would know, have like never known. And we she would have, have never yeah, known. Yeah. No. And so I really, I absolutely understand and acknowledge that our healthcare system fails mothers every single day. We are mm-hmm. gaslit every day. And I, I definitely do not adopt that as my own story or those struggles as my own, yeah. but I absolutely acknowledge it. And I don't think that it's unjustified anger, but yeah, there was a lot of why, why us, why is this happening to Noel? Why is it? And it, it stemmed outside of babies and, a, and, and our pregnancy and more of a, why are bad people allowed to thrive? and exist in the world. And our innocent child has done nothing wrong. And she is struggling Mm. to breathe. She's struggling. It changes the very fibers of your entire being, what you've believed your whole entire life. Exactly. And, and, and really it's, what did I do wrong? You Mm. know, you start to think about what did I do to cause this? Did I bring this? You handled the guilt, the blame on yourself. A lot of therapy. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of therapy, but also in, um, I I still really struggle with it. Yeah. I love the honesty. It's a great, it's, I mean, that's true. It's transparent and real. We do. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you did everything that you possibly could. It was not your fault at the end of the day, but there's always going to be that feeling. Yeah. Of, but what if, like, what if it was something like, and it kind of kills me when I hear, you know, 20 in a study or like, there's not that many studies or there's just no research. And it's like, how can there be the rarest forms of this and that mm-hmm. have thousands and thousands of case studies or peer reviewed, whatever. And there are none when it has to do with our babies. And it's just like, they're not valued as much as us. And that's, that's a tragic realization. But what I said of me spiraling in the dark, because I do this, I tend to try to say, okay, now what? Mm -hmm. This is where we're at. What happens next? Mm -hmm. So you said you've had some good therapy, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. That's great. How are you coping on the day-to-day being, what are you, seven, um, Almost eight months out. Yeah. I am, you know, trying to keep a consistent routine, Mm -hmm. trying to keep a consistent routine. I have re-entered work. I'm working again. Um, And 
showing up for Noel the, mm-hmm. the best that I can and being gentle with myself, trying to be gentle with myself and to be gentle with other with others around me. And because the, the anger is all consuming and the grief is all consuming, but like trying to, you know, talk to her, keep her continue mm-hmm. by honoring her and talk to her, but being gentle with myself, taking breaks, drinking water, taking a yeah. shower, you know, cleaning something once a day, like it's all the things that people do for mental health. I mean, and I thought about this the other day, I was like, I inhaled a pizza and then I felt like shit and I was super depressed. And I was like, wait, that's because I just ate like garbage food. Like I'm, you know, I just need to clean it up and I feel a little better sometimes, but it doesn't take away from the fact that this is pretty horrific most, most often. Um, but I, I probably know the answer to this. And I, and I'm asking this probably on behalf of anybody in your situation, because I've had some, some requests for uh life limiting diagnosis, mm-hmm. pregnancy and caring to term or caring all the way. Um, at any point, do you regret anything that you did? Do you regret the hope? Do you regret decisions that you made? I, we can't let ourselves do that because, and that was something that my husband and I made a decision to do. We agreed that we weren't going to start to play the blame game or the what if game because it, it's a game and no one can win. So the regretting, I, the biggest one, no. Because we went back to that value. We went back to, we felt loved, we felt cared for, and we felt like she was loved and cared for. And she was feeling that love. Mm-hmm. And um, there's always going to be a better surgeon or a better doctor or whatever. You know, you can always go and try to look and find that. But at the end of the day, if you're, if you don't feel like your baby is being valued or your team cares about you, it doesn't, none of that matters. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that, and we really did, try as best as we could to live each day with Noelle when she was in utero and an earth side, we tried to take advantage of it. And I'm not saying it was fun. <laughs> you know, it's not like yeah. we were like having a party and smiling the whole time, but we really tried to soak up all of those moments with her that we could and live in them and acknowledge we're sad right now. And that's okay. We're doing okay. And that's okay. We're happy and that's okay. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's how I've managed Mm -hmm. is by being honest with myself and not running from, cause I tried, I tried to, to run for my grief. I thought that if I, like we, we went to San Diego a month after her funeral. And I thought that we could take like a grief vacation Mm. Oh, no, no. Grief follows you. Oh yeah. Wherever you go, you do not get a break from it. Pack that package up in your baggage. It's coming with. (laughs) Exactly. You're taking a little bit more baggage than you bargained for. And, and yeah, I don't, because it's, and you didn't run from it. You took it with you. You carried it with you on this trip. Yeah. You acknowledged it on this trip. Yeah. Trips are so weird after loss. Like everyone was like, go on a trip. So like, right. Like the day after my six week, we packed Mm. it up and we went back to my hometown. That's the thing. 
don't go somewhere you've been before, like either before pregnancy or during pregnancy. Like don't go back to somewhere that your previous self has been. Yeah. It was a nightmare. I was like crying the entire time. I would see like places I used to go in high school. I'm like, oh my God, I was so innocent then. Take me back. Like it was a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So then we went to Egypt and I was like, this is working for me. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. I didn't cry that much on that trip, but I will tell you when I stepped foot back in my house, it was like 10 times, like Mm -hmm. the quiet that I had to go look at his urn again. It's just like, yeah. Traveling is good for you, but you do have to prep, I think, for what happens when you get back from it. Yeah. I did take it with me a little bit, my grief a little bit, but it didn't show its face as much. And I got a glimpse of what it might look like, you know, years down the road. Because have you seen your grief change over the last eight months at all? <sighs> yes but in these like sly ways that like Mm. sometimes I don't notice that it's changing or I don't. Yeah. It's become, it's a, it's a roller coaster, isn't it? And I, and I hate the metaphor, but it's like sometimes the, and the triggers are Mm. so intense and the flashbacks are so intense. Yeah. Um, You've got trauma. You have. Yeah. I was serious trauma. Yeah. Have you been Uh, tackling the grief and trauma? Yeah. They kind of go hand in hand. And sometimes that's the thing. I don't know. Is it postpartum depression? Is it PTSD? Is it grief? I don't know Uh, which uh, one it is. I think if you're having physical, physiological reactions to things, I have been told that's definitely a form of PTSD stemming from, I mean, grief is, I think the waves of sadness that happen as you're mourning and honoring your baby, because they're, they're not here. Mm-hmm. trauma is the physical pain and you went through physical pain mm-hmm. trauma of the death. Absolutely. And it's mm-hmm. also what went down around the death. It's, it's what occurred in the moment mm-hmm. that you re-trigger yourself later on. Mm-hmm. This is me having tons of fucking therapy, <laughs> right? That's why they keep saying we're probably one of the only categories, probably besides military, that keeps putting ourselves back into the trauma. Like if you were Mm -hmm. to go into another pregnancy, you're going to be triggered all the time because you're continuously and not even that you go to Target and the six women are pregnant as hell. And like, you know, you got infants everywhere. So we're just continuously being triggered. But it's the and this is I went back to the doctor and I was seeing a specialist and they were in the same building as my OB, who I hate because they were at fault for a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I'm in the elevator and I'm like, I'm totally cool. I'm doing bright. I'm breathing. I'm like, but all of a sudden I start, I'm sweating. My heart starts going and I'm like, oh shit. Oh shit. Like, I think I'm reacting. What's happening is my brain is saying, bitch, get out of this elevator. Mm-hmm. Last time you were here, shit went down. Like, this is bad. Get out, get out. And I'm standing there and I'm like, but I'm okay. But my body is freaking out. Like that has mm-hmm. got to be some sort of PTSD, man. I mean, it is a wild feeling. It is. And yeah, it, it absolutely sounds like PTSD. And it's like, you can't just, that's what sucks about it is your body is a lot of the times that fight, flight or freeze response mm-hmm. is kicking in mm-hmm. and you can't attend to it. Yeah. Like you can't, no, you can't like, mm-mm. what are you going to do if you're at the specialist? Like, what are you going to do? Just like, yeah, because I, you can't, you can't do it. Yeah, it's so bad. And it's like, I, and that's what people don't get. And I, and I think that this is why lost moms have such great conversations because we see each other. We recognize that mm-hmm. 
you're sad. Absolutely. But you have been through something that people will never see in probably three or four lifetimes. Like never you've held your child and watched it take its last breath. Like it is something that nightmares are made of. And then now you are just supposed to just go right into society and be a normal person. I'm sorry. What? And and we want to be normal. That's the thing. Right. Like we don't want to do this. No. So, and that's why, you know, oh my God, we're so far over time. I'm sorry. I know. Oh my gosh. I've been like seeing it. I'm like, oh, sorry. I know you got to go. Um, no, 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 no. You're, you're all good. You're good. So that's why I wanted you to talk and tell your story. Because when I look at your posts and things, it's clear you love your baby so much. It's clear that you're in a lot of pain, but you seem to always tie in something about hope or something about light, something about honoring her, something beautiful. You always seem to tie that in. And whether you're feeling it or not, trying to get yourself to feel that is is such a huge part of this game, I call it. Because Mm -hmm. if we sit in the dark, we don't have a good chance of honoring them in a way that they would want to be honored, I feel like. And we just sit in the dark and there's nothing good we can do for anybody. So I, um, to wrap it up, um, I like to leave, I want you to leave with your final words on what you want to leave your listeners with. Oh my gosh. I, first off, thank you so much for the time to talk about Noelle and to, uh, to let me share her story. Um, but if there are any moms, dads, families, grandparents, um, whatever, uncles, aunts that have somebody that knows somebody that is carrying a baby who has a life-limiting diagnosis or who is terminally ill, know that that baby loves you so much and feels that love. And there is, you're not doing anything wrong and you didn't cause this. You didn't force this to happen. And you are a family forever. Your baby might not be here physically, but they are your baby and you get to honor them however you want. You get to live with them and take them with you. They will go with you wherever you go and they feel that love. And gosh, I just wish I could give them a hug right now. (laughs) If I could, I really do. I do. I know you're such a great mama to them and you're such a good, I think your way of healing is a good one to help others with their own healing. I think that it'll be very helpful for others to hear your words. Um, What I'm going to do is after Mm -hmm. we hang up, I'm going to ask you to send me um, all the links that you have for information on Noelle's diagnosis and the things that you experienced so that we can link that. I think it's really important to share that information. I've seen a lot of moms in Arizona actually. So isn't it um, crazy? It is. Yeah. Yeah. I see ton in Arizona. Um, I love Arizona by the way, but, um, I thank you so much for doing this. I know it's Mm -hmm. not easy, um, but I appreciate you doing it. And, I know Brody and Noel are sitting there staring at us, eating cookies, <laughs> saying our moms are the absolute best. Check it out, everybody. Come look. <laughs> I so hope thank so. you so I much. Yeah. yeah, you're you're amazing. Um, and I'm so proud of you. Only eight months mm-hmm. out, and I'm not that far ahead of you, but I know mm-hmm. I know that it's still really hard in the very first year and getting through the holidays and all the firsts are really tough. 
and uh, you're you're doing just so wonderfully incorporating her in your life and honoring her and it just radiates through I only see your Instagram but it's it radiates through that and even when you speak so thank you very much thank you all right girl you're so welcome I hope we can do this again because I know there's just so much more to talk about but I appreciate what you've what you've so honestly told so far so thank you and thank you for hosting this podcast and for all that you do the last mom community Brody has the coolest mom and it, oh shucks yeah it's just <laughs> oh my gosh you, the legacy that you are leaving for Brody and creating for this community is so 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 loved and appreciated so thank you so much that's so kind of you to say thank you all right girl see you on the flip side out there uh, see you on the gram <laughs> all right have a good rest of your Wednesday and you too right, bye. bye babe bye that's all for this episode of the at a total loss podcast If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.